welcome to the PaxX Podcast, now available on iTunes. This is episode nine of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderfully, Mary. Great to yes. talk to you again. Yes, it's been uh, an exciting uh, week or two. Lots of aviation things going on, and so that's always great. It is. I have to admit, Max, I'm having a hard time keeping up these days. It's uh, News is coming fast and furiously, you know? It sure when is. It, <laughs> when it comes to, well, what, what three topics do we pick? It's just There's just a mountain of, of possibilities, especially in the passenger experience space. So no shortage there, no shortage of topics. That's right. But before we get started, we've got a, a, a fun show lined up here. But before we get started, we would like to thank Lumexis for sponsoring this week's podcast. Lumexis is widely known for providing its fiber-to-the-screen, fiber-optics-based in-flight entertainment system on Fly Dubai's 737s. It's also developing the system on Turkish and Transaero wide-body aircraft and working with Boeing for line-fit offerability. Additionally, Lumexis is extremely active in wireless IFE. Its FTTS second-screen wireless solution allows passengers to use one or more of their own PEDs simultaneously to wirelessly access moving maps, food selection, catalog purchase games, or any of the other dozens of other server-based applications without interrupting the movie running in the seatback or in-arm monitors. So thank you so much, Lumexis. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today, Gim Leyo. Gim is Deputy Editor, Air Transport at Flight Global, and she tweets as at Gim Lay. Gim, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Are you keeping warm in this uh, cold weather? I hope <laughs> I am. I've got the uh, I've got my uh, hot temperature at about eighty one degrees right now, so we're nice and balmy here. <laughs> my goodness, Gim, welcome to the show. It's nice to uh, speak with you. We've seen your articles in Flight Global, and so this is a great opportunity to get to chat a little bit with you. Yes, likewise. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, let's take a look at some of the top PaxX news stories making headlines. First, Volaris has just had its earning conference call. And, Gim, you've reported some interesting PaxX details from the call. Can you give us a little bit of information about what came out of the conference? Hi, Max. Sure, I can do that. Uh, okay, so Volaris reported their fourth quarter financial results today. Um, and a lot of the focus on their conference call was actually on their ancillary revenue because in October, they just moved over to a new reservation system. And that basically has helped them to, you know, basically uh, come up with new ways to charge ancillary revenue that they weren't able to before. And they started charging for carry-on bags in October. And in December, they also started charging for food and beverages on board. So that's definitely something that's new for them because um, they are a Mexican low-cost carrier. And from what, what I understand is that um, ancillary fees are, actually pretty new for the Latin American market. Um, even though we are based in the US, we're pretty much used to them, you know, especially when we fly on a low-cost carrier that we're paying all these extra fees on top of our airfares. But from what I understand from the executives of Volaris is that it's a very new thing for the Latin American market. And even though they expect some time for passengers to get used to these fees and to start paying for them, um, 2014 looks like a really good year for them in terms of ancillary revenue. Kim, are they essentially just following the Spirit Airlines model? Is that what they're doing here? Um, I think so. I mean, it's interesting because when you look at the uh, different ancillary fees that they're offering, um, for example, like they have fees for you know the carry-on bags, um, they charge differently based on when you buy them. So if you were to 
choose the ancillary fee when you are booking your airfare online, you end up paying less than if you were paying for it at the airport, for example. So that is actually something that you know Spirit has been a leader in in terms of not just charging ancillary revenues per se, but also um, you know making changes to different kind of fees depending on when the passenger decides to pay for them. And obviously, you know that is with the intention of getting the passengers to pay for them earlier so that that revenue comes online earlier as well. Um, I, uh, I obviously saw the headline today that Ryanair is uh, again talking about $10 flights over transatlantic. And I had a chat with my sister, in fact, and, you know, we're from Ireland. And she said, I don't care w- what seats I'd have to sit in. I don't care what seats <laughs> would be offered. If right. I can get to Ireland for $10, I'll do it. Uh, I wonder. I wonder if this is the kind of great race to the bottom in terms of fares and in terms of what people are willing to put up with to get Mm -hmm. to the other side for cheap. What do you think? Um, I wouldn't, well, I think it really depends on the market segment that the airline is, you know, um, hoping to sell to. I think if you talk to the people at Spirit Airlines, they have always been very clear about who their target market is. And they would always tell you that, you know, it's the visiting friends and relatives, it's the leisure travelers, um, people, you know, who are, you know, just happy with getting from point A to point B. And they don't really care about like a business class seat. They don't really care about, you know, having drinks on the plane. So, and I think in terms of that, they have done quite well in terms of just being very clear about who they're selling to and who their target customer is. So, you know, I, I would like to think that it's not a race to the bottom, not just yet. But, um, you know, definitely we, we've been, you know, just seeing low-cost carriers trying to innovate and trying to come out, you know, with new ways of charging extra fees on top of the efforts that they sell. Max, what do you think? Do you have some basic requirements when you fly? Yeah, I'd like to uh, avoid the race to the bottom if I can or supporting it uh, in, uh, in any way that I can I, because I think there's more to the experience than just price. And the other thing is that, I mean, the race to the bottom, maybe it's the race to the, the lowest base fare, but with the fees that you pay, that's not the, the net price. I mean, Ryanair is not going to ship people across the Atlantic for $10 a, a seat, and that's it. You're going to end up paying a lot more than that, I have to believe, with the with the fees. I mean, isn't it isn't it the fees that allows the LCCs of this sort to even consider transoceanic travel? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. However, when you calculate it and you look at it all in, right, baggage, everything, um, you know, I think people would, if it even came out to be something closer to a $300 mark, I think that, uh, I think you'd see a lot, uh, you'd see a lot of interest. Now, Gim's right, obviously, they're hitting the leisure traveler, but I'm wondering when these carriers, when these ultra low cost carriers are really going to start hitting business. Because just on Flyer Talk today, and we're going to be talking about uh, in-flight Wi-Fi here next with respect to Delta Airlines. But on a Flyer Talk thread today, someone said, and they were a bit, they're a business traveler. Someone said, Delta can take its life flat. Just let me have economy comfort as long as I can have Wi-Fi to work. So I just wonder that once these low-cost carriers get equipped with Wi-Fi, will we start seeing some of the more business travelers jumping over? Just wondering. We'll see. What do you think, Gim? Is that is that something that's important to you yet? I think yes. Wi-Fi connectivity is definitely of use when I'm traveling for business, um, because especially if it's on a flight that's say longer than four or five hours, you know, it helps to have that connectivity in terms of just getting caught up with work and you know trying to be productive while being in the air. 
But, you know, if I'm traveling, I, by the same time, if I was traveling for leisure, I don't think I would value that Wi-Fi connectivity as much because, I mean, personally, when I travel for fun, I like, you know, I like switching off and I like disconnecting if I'm on vacation. At least, I mean, that's, that's just me. But I understand that that might not be what everybody wants. You know, I'm sure that there are some people out there who, when they, even when they travel for holiday, they would you know, still want to update Facebook and be on Twitter and all of that. I don't know any of those people yet. <laughs> well, you know, before I retired, when I was doing a lot of international business travel, the thing that was most important to me was that I arrived at my destination ready to do business. That, to me, was a lot more important than uh, conducting business on the actual flight itself. So for me, anyway, it was the comfort of the uh, of the flight, the ability to sleep, the ability to arrive rested and be able to, you know, walk into the business meeting in some different time zone right away. So yeah, for me, that was more important than just price. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and obviously, uh, you know, major carriers realize that and they're now offering, you know, full flat um, is the cost of doing business now in business class. Um, actually hearing just this week that Lufthansa has started retrofitting its A380s, um, not only with in-flight uh, high-speed internet, uh, Panasonic KU system, but also uh, its latest business class product. And so it is uh, It is interesting. Uh, there is that faction, uh, Max. And then, of course, there's some of us who are in the back of the bus, happy for our little <laughs> Wi-Fi because we're not going to get any sleep anyways. <laughs> well, speaking of Wi-Fi, we see the Delta has just confirmed that it plans to launch international Wi-Fi on its 747s on March 3rd, which, as we record this, is just coming up very quickly. Yeah. Uh, Mary, you've been tracking this story. What's the latest? Yeah, so Delta Airlines is kind of, you know, I, I'm sure it'll forgive me for, for, for phrasing it this way, but they are grossly delayed on their program here. Um, lots of reasons for that. Um, and in fact, uh, we cottoned on to what was going on based on a, a story that Flight Global wrote um, about a year ago. Your colleague, Kim, uh, Kristen Melcher, uh, wrote yes. an article, yes, about what was going on with respect to the bird strike testing of antenna radomes. Yeah. And uh, she, I mean, it, <laughs> whoever talked to her, maybe, I don't know, maybe wishing he I never got this ball rolling, but because <laughs> it's quite a story. Um, what happened was, um, as we've discussed in the past, the FAA heightened its scrutiny of bird strike testing. The FAA says that it actually didn't. It just clarified its position. But what it's forced uh, everybody to do is go back uh, quite, quite literally to the drawing board uh, and, um, and, and jump through these hoops to get a supplemental type certification for their systems. Uh, Delta has been working with GoGo to roll out connectivity on its international fleet and GoGo uh, some of its proposals haven't been accepted by the FAA. Um, so they've had some problems getting STC. And so now Delta is finally getting a little bit more transparent about what's going on today in a flyer talk uh, commentary. It said that they are going to launch Wi-Fi on the 747s and they're really eager to get it also on the 767s and uh, the A330. Um, the reality is that um, the 747 is what's considered non-bird strike because of the hump. So that's an easy STC to get for connectivity. The other types are a bit harder. And so we'll see if Delta is able to kind of pick up the pace now and get these installs going. 
going, but the race is well and truly on because United is making some real headway in its uh, equipage of connectivity. It's fascinating, isn't it, guys? Fascinating. It is. Do we know what the rollout schedule is for Delta? Um, so they said the 747's first. I'm hearing, I'm hearing that they're really focused on getting the A330 next. Um, I'm, I, I don't believe that they've received STC on the A330, but that would appear to be kind of their next goal. Um, they wanted to get it on the 767 first, but unfortunately, the way they placed the radome over the wing box and the wing join on that aircraft um, has it. it forced the FAA, told them to essentially go back and, and uh, needed to do more testing. And so they've had to reinforce that radome and, and they've had all kinds of complications. So the long and the short of it is there is a plan. It's happening gradually, but it's certainly not happening as fast as Delta flyers would want. And as evidenced by the fact that these guys are now getting kind of rather vocal about the fact that they don't have international Wi-Fi uh, on Delta yet. So I gather this radome issue, this is something that was not anticipated? It was not, actually. Is that and, a gaffe? Did the airline, did the, you know, is that a gaffe on the part of the airlines? I can tell you this, having covered it really deeply on the premium side of the site, there's a lot of finger pointing going on. Uh, there's a lot, as you would expect, there's a lot of folks that think that the, in the, on the industry side that think that the FAA have overreached. Um, and, and really never made these requirements in the past. Why are they doing it now? Then the FAA says, no, in fact, we've always had these requirements, um, but they didn't like some of the proposals that were coming in. They felt that they needed to clarify further, and in doing that, um, yeah, it's caused this issue. So there's a lot of finger-pointing going on. With that said, at the end of the day, one one has to think that if this will ultimately improve passenger safety or assure a better passenger safety, then it's got to be a good thing. But someone has made some interesting arguments lately, uh, a couple of companies actually. They said, well, if this was so important, why isn't the FAA retroactively going back to the STCs that it granted in mm. the past, right? Why isn't it requiring them to retest? And that would require an airworthiness directive. And the FAA recently said that it will not require uh, anything retroactive. So that's caused kind of a bit of a question in the industry. Well, why wouldn't you make some of the guys from the past doing it? Um, I don't know. Are you guys looking at this at all, Kim? Is Kristen on this as well? Yeah, I mean, Kristen is our IFE reporter, so she, yeah. you know, she's definitely been following all the different, um, you know, developments in terms of the U.S. carriers. But it's, you know, I, I'm just, I just thought it was interesting just seeing, um, I mean, not just Delta, but also a lot of the mainline carriers just, you know, looking at connectivity on their flights and, you know, connectivity aside, also, you know, things like, you know, um, just an upgraded product experience, new seats, life lessons in business class and, you know, things like that. Um, it's pretty obvious that they are definitely trying to compete on the global scale with, you know, other international carriers because I think those of us who have been covering the airline industry, I think we could definitely agree that when it comes to just passenger comfort and passenger passenger experience, you know, um, the US airlines are a little bit behind their international counterparts when it comes to, you know, that aspect. I think it's a very fair assessment. <laughs> <laughs> Max, did you only fly U.S. carriers, or, or were you an international guy? Oh, I was an international guy for the most yeah. part, yeah, to, to Asia and to Europe primarily. But uh, I miss those days. I like, uh, I, I'm one of those guys that loves to just to walk into an airport and sort of, you know, absorb the, uh, 
the whole environment and uh, just the whole flight experience was always fascinating to me. I never tired of it. My colleagues always said that now eventually you'll you'll grow weary of all the travel, but uh, I did not. I I really loved it. Oh wow! Did you have any favorites then? Are you able to talk about now? Uh, well, I probably flew um, United more than any other airline, primarily because uh, well, that's that that was the airline that was going to. Uh, Tokyo to Beijing and to Singapore frequently, and so uh, I found myself on them uh, uh, more than on other airlines. Like I say, the the experience was just always always the greatest. In fact, it's, talking about Singapore, one of the uh, things we wanted to mention uh, that this episode was that Gim has recently covered the Singapore Air Show, which was uh, one of my favorite air show of the large air shows. I always thought the Singapore Air Show was was a great one. It was a it's a good size, you know. It's not too big. But yeah, maybe you can tell us something about some of the highlights from the show, and and in, uh, and then we can talk about your experience at the Knock Air press conference. <laughs> sure, Max. Um, yeah, the show was a good one for us. Um, you know, because um, as you know, it will be Flight Global, and it was the we had a daily at the show, and that was actually the first daily we've done the Singapore Air Show after you know quite some time away. So it was really nice to be back there having a daily. Um, in terms of aircraft orders, I personally thought it was slightly disappointing because I, I think, you know, as a aviation journalist and, you know, after covering the Beatles shows, like maybe Paris and Farnborough, I think we all went in with a lot of expectations like, oh, you know, will this be the show where, you know, we will see huge orders with the 777X. But um, in the end, we didn't really quite see that. What we ended up seeing was we saw a lot of airlines firming up orders for, um, you know, Firming orders that they already previously announced last year. So Vietjet uh, Viet Air, which is a Vietnamese low-cost carrier, I believe they actually firm my order for up to 100 A320s, and that order includes a substantial number of A320 news. Um, Embraer got an order for their re-engine E2 from an Indian carrier called Air Costa. But I think what really stood out for me at the show was was probably the last uh, working day for us when when I covered a knock air press conference and um, the Thai low cost carrier basically announced an order for some seven three seven max aircraft and the CEO was um, he's definitely an interesting guy and to be fair to him I. I've interviewed him before, like a few years ago when I was working at the Singapore Bureau of Flight Global. And he was, you know, a perfect gentleman there. He was nice and he was respectful. But this time around, he definitely made some very interesting comments at the press conference. Um, he brought along a big group of knock air flight attendants with him when he made the order announcement. And he started off by saying something like, oh, you know, welcome, and it's good seeing so much press in the room. I didn't expect so many journalists to come. And, you know, it's good that we brought, you know, that we brought women, and our women are as good-looking as our aircraft. So um, that was definitely interesting. I think that there was some awkward laughter in the in the newsroom, but I, I don't think, you know, anyone actually, you know, took him up on, I mean, took up on what he said. But um, I tweeted those comments when I was at, the air show and I think having covered the aviation industry for close to five years one thing I've definitely you know I think that everybody knows is that it's a very male dominated industry um, a lot of the top executives at the airlines are male um, it's rare to see an airline CEO who's a woman but um, but at the same time you know I was also quite 
taken aback by his remarks. Um, not in definitely not in a good way because I had never really I've never seen women quite as objectified as they were at the press conference. And you know, it's just unfortunate that um, that you see such sentiments still exist in the industry today. But at the same time, I think I was also pretty comforted by the fact that after I tweeted those remarks, you know, I had people you know, coming up to me and telling me that, oh, we saw your tweets and everything. And, you know, how dare he say that? <laughs> and so it was nice to get, you know, that, that sort of support from, you know, other people in the industry and, and not just women. Like I have I have plenty of men, you know, other journalists and other people who were equally outraged that he actually say something like that during the press conference. Did Air ever comment after that? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, to, well, I, I don't cover Nock Air since I'm based in DC. Um, I'm not sure if anyone actually went up to them and asked them about it afterwards. But um, I think from what I understand, like even Mary, you know, Mary was, um, I think she wrote a, a really great um, commentary on this for Runway Girl Network. And she said that the next day, I think um, the Nock Air CEO, Pati Sarasin, he went to Bombardier to announce, I guess, an order for more aircraft. And he, he had a photo of himself with some I don't know if a flight attendant or somebody else and he was saying that oh I'm going around hugging women at the show (laughs) it just yeah doesn't seem like they have you know learned their lesson or they have well I don't think they were I'm not sure that they were aware of you know the outrage that was going on online in response to his comments I wonder if he was drinking or something (laughs) I don't think so yeah I mean I don't I don't think so I I have a feeling you know to me it's um I mean, I haven't thought about it afterwards, and I think I think it could be more of a I don't know maybe his idea of a marketing gimmick or a publicity stunt. Like maybe that was just his way of gaining attention because uh, he's not the first airline CEO to say outrageous things just right. to get press. <laughs> you know, I think we're familiar with um, you know the CEO of a certain Irish carrier who does that all the time. So <laughs> he continues <laughs> to do it. <laughs> despite despite himself he continues to do it. Um no it it is very interesting. But Kim, I mean even kind of more broadly, you're yeah, yeah. A, you know you're a female aviation journalist in this industry. I, I read your Facebook post. Sometimes you do encounter some pretty interesting situations. Um you know, where, yes, yes. you know, you, you are fielding a lot of attention. I, we should also note that Gim is also a very attractive woman. Oh, uh, thanks, Mary. <laughs> you're too kind. <laughs> she feels a lot of male attention, including from male executives. Can you talk a little bit about that without fingering anybody, obviously, out? <laughs> well, just, yeah, you know. I mean, there have, there have definitely been some interesting stories. Um, I... I think to be fair, no one has ever crossed the line. I, I don't think, um, I, I don't remember any, you know, airline executive who has ever been inappropriate. But, you know, definitely there have been some interesting stories. Like uh, I recently covered a Latin American uh, airline conference. This was last year, actually. And I spoke to one of the senior executives of the Latin American carrier. And I, it was, I think it was the first time that I actually met him. Um, and afterwards, I had to follow up with him on something else. So he agreed to email me some information on um, on, a, on a certain issue that we spoke about during the interview. And he started off with the email um, by with, on the email by by saying, "My dear beautiful Gim," <laughs> and I was I was quite taken aback because I obviously did not see that coming. But um, yeah, there have definitely definitely been some interesting experiences. Um, I mean, I. 
I think that you know, even though I'm female and and you know, obviously I kind of stand out, especially when I travel Latin America, because not only am I female, I'm Asian, but at the same time, I would like to think that I try to use it to my advantage if I can, because you know, it sort of does help people to remember me in that way, because there are not that many Asian female aviation journalists around. So that is a good thing. I mean, I try to look at it in that, in, you know, from, from a positive angle. That's good. That is good. I, I think that also I, I find myself when you see kind of a sea of a sea of white men in our industry, yeah. it is, you, <laughs> I don't know. I get, I have a hard time sometimes putting faces to names anymore. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it is nice to see it not only, uh, more women, but a more multicultural flair out there as well. There's a lot of white dudes. Uh, Max, yeah. you're a white dude. <laughs> Last I checked. <laughs> Uh, you've yeah. never experienced anything on the flip side, Max, have you? I mean, you know, sexism from the other side? No. Uh, I've I've encountered a little bit of, uh, I would say, racism when I was the minority. Um, oh. That doesn't happen very often. But I, I like what Gim said about, I mean, sometimes you, if you're a woman, you, you can use that to your advantage. And I don't, I don't mean in a deceptive or inappropriate way at all and i've got some great stories which i will not share right (laughs) now um which illustrate how you can effectively uh how women can effectively uh, use their differences and their perceived differences in business situations to uh, to the advantage of their company sometimes you can sort of leverage that against the the culture that you find yourself uh, dealing dealing with in your business relationships uh, but i think things are changing slowly um when i saw the knock air press conference uh, reports i i thought well maybe we've taken a few steps back but uh, generally i think things are slowly improving which since i'm the white dude it you know i can say that easily if i was a woman i might you know not be so impressed with the pace of change well, you know, I think change is afoot on a number of fronts and not just with respect to gender, but also, and I just want to give, take the opportunity to give a shout out to Delta Airlines and American Airlines, which have come out uh, in pretty strong statements this week, uh, you know, in relation to certain states um, that are, are coming down hard on the uh, uh, lesbian, gay, transgender community, bisexual community, and, 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 and really proposing legislation that could hurt business, hurt employees, hurt passengers, ultimately. Um, I don't know if you follow that, Max, at all um, in terms of these statements that Delta and American put out, but I'm really impressed by what they did. No, I have not seen those, and uh, I, I think I will go look for that because that's uh, a topic that I have uh, have some interest in. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's impressive. So they definitely deserve some some props. I don't know, uh, Gim, have you have you paid attention to this at all? Um, this has just been in the last couple of days in response. Yeah. Yes, I I didn't see the American statement, but I definitely saw the Delta statement, and I think that's great that they you know came out to say that because um, I mean, personally, I'm I'm pro uh, you know. LGBT rights because so many of my close friends, you know, they are gay and they're lesbian. And, you know, um, and I think coming from Singapore, Singapore is definitely in terms of, well, just the, well, the authorities themselves in Singapore, they have not been as 
you know, open towards the idea of gay marriage as um, what we see here in the United States where we actually had, you know, President Obama making a public statement and saying that he was for it. So, you know, that's, I mean, that's definitely something that's very different for me, you know, just living in D.C. and coming from a more conservative society back home. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's great that, that those allies, you know, came out publicly and say something about it. I think that's that that's definitely great. And I'm hoping that we'll see more of the same from the other carriers as well. Yeah, I agree. That would be very, very nice. It's uh, Yeah, it, I think it's time. I think it's time. Well, we are rapidly coming to a close. I want to thank our listeners. And remember, you can find us online at RunwayGirlNetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at at RunwayGirl. And remember to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. We'd love to have you. And it is getting pretty exciting, I have to say, because now we've got a lot of folks that are... Uh, uh, searching uh, for details about the passenger experience, finding out exactly what product is going to be on your aircraft and tying tail numbers to your product. It's pretty fascinating what's happening out there. It's something we're going to talk about in the future, but all the data mining that's going on right now with respect to passenger experience. So join in the conversation, please. Uh, I'd love to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, Lumexis, and I'd like to thank Kim Leo for being our guest. Kim, where can listeners find you at? Well, they can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm an at Twitter. That's G-H-I-M-L-A-Y. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I'm on it on, well, most days of the week. So that's probably the best way to look for me. And also you're on Flight Global, of course. Yes, uh, of course. A lot of that is behind the paywall now these days, right? <laughs> well, some of our content is still free of charge. But, you know, for the best stuff, obviously, I would. Uh, and I encourage our readers to get a subscription to Flight Global. That's very, very wise, Kim. Very wise. Some of the best stuff is always behind the paywall. Max? Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, we've covered a lot of territory this episode. It's been fun. Kim, nice to uh, speak with you. Look forward to uh, speaking again. Yes, of course. All right. So join us again next week as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.